0: Hey! This is Josh. Thanks for tuning into the show, Healers on Healing. I wanted to make this show because we can get caught in the trappings of life. Responsibilities, bills to pay, kids to feed, just all these things that take our attention. And to me, healing and being our healthiest self gets neglected. I thought it'd be interesting to ask my colleagues and other professionals what the heck this thing health and healing is. I hope these conversations inspire you, demystify the process, maybe reinforce what you already know and give you new ideas on how to be the healthiest you. In today's episode, my guest Chris Harrison talks about vulnerability and wounding and the healthy need for its expression. Chris is the Global Resiliency Program Manager at Facebook. Tune in as Chris talks about the seductive nature of comparing ourselves to others and his own personal story of struggling with alcohol addiction. Hi, Chris. Thanks for doing this and being on the show, and um, I really start all of these pretty much the exact same way with a very big question, <laughs> and it's, what is healing? What is health, and what do you believe you're doing to help people get there and jump off wherever you want to jump off?
1: Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is my role as a father and seeing young children who come into this world unafraid and innocent and curious and whole. Then I reflect on my role as a therapist, seeing people who have lost their innocence, gained fear, and oftentimes I think lost a sense of curiosity and wonder about the world. And I think that's what healing is about for me. It's how do we assist people in coming back into presence, being here and now and whole, and full in a way that far exceeds the beauty of ch- our childhood experiences for those who had childhood experiences, many as we know didn't. But there is something about a returning to an understanding of our place
0: in it all. I guess that's a start. It's a great start of <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to reflect some things back and see how they land and where we kick off from them. What I hear you speaking to is here we come into this world with sort of a notion of health, wellness, you know, we just sort of enter in a state that kind of gives us a sense of what it's like. Mm-hmm. We lose that state. And now healing health becomes kind of using the remembrance of that state. If we have a remembrance of that state to mm-hmm. kind of guide us back to the flavor of what health and healing is. And and in a lot of ways, it's this being present and being connected and kind of not getting too lost in hooked on to any one thing, like a a child just kind of flows through their
1: experiences. It's interesting as a dad to think this through. Something will happen with my kids, they'll get upset, they'll be comforted, and in that comforting, they're healed from whatever the disturbance was or the injury that they experienced, physical or or psychological, emotional. And it just happens naturally in in a healthy attachment environment. Yeah, I
0: think that at least in this moment, that's what it's about. <laughs> thinking about it as a father, you know, I'm a father as well. Tell me if the second, I'm feeling into it with you, like there's this base place that exists in us. It's just God given. It's just mm. this place where we can really, and now I'm thinking in terms of children, but like play in the world, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And something comes along and kind of tightens us up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Injury is the word you're using, but uh, you know. Yeah. And right, there's these ways that we, as the parent, gift, kind of getting back to that mm-hmm. state of play, and and in fact, are ideally teaching them how to have that place within themselves to roll sort of with the punches and come back to that place of play if mom and dad aren't yeah. there to kind of facilitate it. Yeah, and ideally, as adults, we kind of have that within ourselves so that we can move around this world that does seem to offer injury
2: (laughs) freely. (laughs) (laughs) Freely.
0: (laughs) Which is, yeah, it's really a nice way of, like, the well is there. It's just how do we keep ourselves connected to the well?
1: I go back to this idea of being nourished. I can forget, and I think we can easily forget, as human beings, that we are expressions of this very, to me, mysterious, natural world that offers everything that we need to be whole and healthy. We're talking about how the world offers injury, Mm -hmm. and the world also offers ample and constant opportunities for healing as well, if we know where to look and know how to tune into that. Mm -hmm. It's one of the things I lament about modern, broad, broadly speaking, American culture. We're so individualistic we can forget that we heal collectively. And I believe we're wounded. This doesn't quite make sense as I'm saying it, but wounded at an individual level.
0: Is it because we're cutting ourselves off from the source? Yeah. that, that That's really where unhealth happens. But as long as we keep ourselves connected.
1: And open. I think the idea of openness and vulnerability as critical components or variables to healing. Again, I guess just to use this term injured, we're injured naturally, right? It just happens. And we're healed naturally too. It just happens. If we can just get out of the way, then we'll experience injury and healing on this cycle and it'll repeat and we'll be just fine. But what I think happens with this component of individualism is I'm not supposed to be hurt. And I'm not supposed to admit that I'm hurt. And if I'm not doing well, I'm not supposed to tell anybody because I'm supposed to be achieving and perfect and whatever, all the ills of, I think, of modern society. So there's something about wanting everyone to see our greatness, but not wanting anyone to see our woundedness or our hurting. So we disable ourselves from being able to be naturally healed by the environment, by communities of support and love and care. Because we're not supposed to show, quote unquote, supposed to show that we're hurting. This idea that I'm not supposed to show vulnerability. Never let them see you sweat. That deodorant commercial I'll never forget growing up. Never let them see you sweat. It's like, what kind of message was that to send to my adolescent mind? Never never let them see me sweat. I'm going to sweat. I get anxious. And I sweat. And sometimes my armpits get wet and I'm embarrassed even still like to lift my arms up if my armpits are showing sweat marks. It's like, where, what is going on here?
0: Now I'm just going off. (laughs) I know. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love this idea that really what you're saying and I, and I totally agree with it is healing is here. Heal, being a healthy individual is here. Mm -hmm. It's all here sort of waiting for us. And the secret is this. Thing that we haven't been taught culturally in a way, which is express it. Because mm-hmm. when you express it, the magnet comes, the opportunity, yeah. the healing comes. And then, yeah, I, exp- oh, I express my, ah, oh, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm yeah. sad. I'm, I'm angry. I'm hurt. Yeah. That expression suddenly kind of calls a healing reaction mm-hmm. to it. And perhaps the, the thing we've been trained to do and the only thing that we have to sort of consciously do when we're talking about healing is just make sure we're expressing. Cause we've been trained to hide. Yeah. We've been trained to keep it in. The cut doesn't get the ointment mm-hmm. if it's not bleeding.
1: And can I just think about compassion as a term that, so defining compassion as suffering with healing happens when I out myself as suffering. And another person then has permission to say, oh, me too. And in that coming together of suffering, we initiate healing. But if I hold my suffering to myself and try to stuff it down so no one else knows, then what am I inviting? The same process for the other person. Oh, look how great this person's doing. I better not show them... All the struggles I have so I'm gonna show them how great I'm doing and we're both totally full of shit and if we could just say oh I'm really hurting too in this area and really doing great in this area then we can be real and maybe that's the state of health to just say I'm struggling in this area and I'm doing amazingly well in this area and that's all of me and that's my expression of health
0: I was gonna caveat it but I try to be open with my clients And I am always amazed at how sort of excited they are when I tell them that I go and see a therapist, and that I've been going to see a therapist for eight years now. Like (laughs) they're always like, "No, you're supposed to be, you're 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 not perfect, (laughs) you know." And you just broke my whole model. Yeah, but I. But speaking to this, I think right there's actually something so soothing and healing to them to know. Oh, right, no one, not even my therapist, who often is playing this role of Mm -hmm. teacher, wisdom, helper. I've done a
1: lot of training over the years in existential humanism, and I love the modality, because one of the tenets of the approach to therapy is authenticity, which I think can be an overused term. I hesitate even now sometimes to use the term because I think it can be overused. But this idea of... I'm not going to keep anything out of the room if I think there's something that I've experienced or am experiencing that can be helpful on the journey of healing for the person I'm working with. So I love that idea. And I work with a lot of addiction, and I've struggled with addiction in my life. I'm the seventh born of seven children, all of whom have had a problem with drug addiction. I didn't escape that fate. My authentic expression of vulnerability and challenge and difficulty in navigating through to a place of recovery absolutely has been absolutely instrumental in deeply connecting with the people that I've worked with because it makes the relationship real. I'm a real human being with another real human being, and we're opening up our shared struggles and our shared joys, and that's authenticity. That's real.
0: So I'm thinking about my son as you're talking, and... It seems we come to this world wired to be our best selves. Meaning, when my son is scared, I know he's scared. When my son is sad, I know he's sad. When my son is hurt, I know he's hurt. When my son is joyful, I know he's joyful. There is no sort of hesitancy in this expression that we're talking about. And yet something happens and we start hiding expression. Why does that ability start going away. Why? Yeah. What leads us astray? What seduces us out of this state that we just come into this world knowing, and we're sort of talking about returning to, to be our healthiest self. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, what seduces us?
1: This is where I, I get really heady. Like, I I feel like I'm about to get really (laughs) heady. So if that doesn't have utility, just stop me, please. I think it's about ego development. It's fascinating having a two-year-old and a three-year-old and watching natural development unfold. And my wife and I are doing the very best we can, of course, as all parents do, to create an environment where any expression of emotion or thought is met with a search, at least, for understanding where is this coming from. Even if it's an unskillful expression of an emotion like yesterday, my son, hit my daughter hard in the ear and then in the nose because he was angry. That's an unskillful expression behaviorally right mm-hmm. But the anger isn't my wife and I had a long conversation last night about how do we continue to work with him so he understands that the anger that he has is natural. Mm-hmm. the way in which he behaviorally manifests that anger can be unskillful and problematic because he's going to phys- he physically hurt my daughter that's and that's not okay. Mm-hmm. So I think this is what happened. I, I don't know if it's as much of a seduction as it is the individual self, which we call the ego in our traditions, comes online, and that experience of separation between self and other, the door to suffering is constructed and opened, because then I'm comparing myself necessarily to others. I see it with my kids at two and three. One of them will be doing something that we as parents praise And of course, the other one runs right over and will do the same thing because they want the same praise. There's certain expressions of emotion and certain expressions of self states that don't evoke a response of love. In fact, in fact, they evoke a response of discipline and correction. So, oh, wait, that must be what I just did must be wrong. Oh, there's a way I can do things wrong. Oh no, I don't want that to become manifest. So how do I just do things right? And that's why parenting is so important. How do we consciously help our little ones to navigate the emergence of separate self. And when that's not done well, that idea of doing things wrong becomes, I am bad, I am wrong, and I need to hide that. And then we're back to what we were talking about a little while ago. It's like that kind of vulnerability I can't express. And then we've now fractured this unified sense of self Into all these different little pieces, so now I have all of my sub-personas, some of which I'll share openly with people because I'm proud of them and people will love me for it. And others I'll never share with anybody because the shame that arises from even the thought of expressing this self to another person is so overwhelming that I won't even attempt it. So now we're walking around appearing to be this unified self, but we know we've got all these separate selves that are in competition with one another, conflict with one another internally forget about that interpersonal dynamics. It's like, Jesus Christ, I don't know which one to even draw from. So I'm going to be this one that I think I'm supposed to be in this environment.
0: Whoever designed this thing, I'm always like, I want to talk to who designed <laughs> this, because why did you design an ego that could come online, that could take us the wrong way? Like, what's the point? And I and, and I, I found myself wanting to like ask you some of those questions. I might still but actually, as you were talking, I actually had kind of the flip side of it. And I was like, Oh, how beautiful that it's not that hard to get back to health. Be mm. it therapy, but I believe there's lots of different environments. If you just take that risk to start to reveal again and you get the environmental healthy response, which can happen really anywhere, you can actually get back fairly quickly. It's still, it's worth, but the opportunity is always there. And that's actually kind of cool. God, I have all sorts of
1: thoughts about that. When the ego comes online, the door of suffering is, I think, created and then gets kicked open. But what else gets kicked open is the opportunity for compassion, the conscious and shared expression of love and awe and wonder. It all sits together. To your question, why is it designed this way? Like, who fucked up to make it this way? It's like, well, we we don't know. We won't ever know. But what I have come to know is that this manifestation of ego or separate self does kick open dualism in a way where there's this opportunity for exceptional suffering and this opportunity for unbelievably powerful shared experiences of love. And again, I go back to wonder and awe.
0: Beautiful. And, and I, actually, yeah, I want to ask you, you know, from a personal place that if we do this work, you know, urge ourselves to express, if we get the healing, we get to the sort of beyond ego place. Like, yeah, paint, paint. What have you, what does that place taste like? And what have you experienced of that taste?
1: It's a great question. The phrase that comes to mind is participating fully in life itself. To recognize all of the experiences that I'm having as the dance of life, an expression of life, but that's it. And this is why I always come back to presence, and this is why I've had a contemplative practice for a long time. Life only happens right here and right now, which we hear endlessly, but to actually drop in and experience the richness and the fullness of the moment in an unadulterated way, that's the, the way I've come to experience like an experience of life beyond individual ego. The flow state, I think, is the easiest way in contemporary language that we've been able to identify this. I can be in flow and completely forget that I'm a separate self. We talk about being one with an instrument or being one with a racket if someone's playing a sport. And you are one with the experience. There's no separation between self and and experience. We're in this state of flow. That's what I'm looking for, for myself. That's what I've experienced. And when I'm in that place and in that space, then I'm fully participating in life. And there's nothing quite like that. And if I'm not vigilant with the practices that I know I need to habituate and sustain, then I'll just be pulled away by the sea of being separate from
0: This is inevitable. Like, it's the arc of the human being is, this is it. This is the design. Well, for me, it's easy to see all the still chaos of the separate phase of the design and be like, oh, my God, people get stuck there and they... But I actually am wondering if that's not actually true. It's just we're all growing and perhaps the process will lead everyone... Mm. Well, again, I'm going to use I'm parado I'm going to talk paradox because on one Mm -hmm. level we're talking about sort of the simple nature of healing and health, Mm -hmm. but we're also talking about the complicated nature of healing and health, right? Right. And so the organism is sort of designed to do it, Mm -hmm. so that's sort of the simple side of it: expression, vulnerability, being received, and not getting caught in some of these traps. That's sort of the simple side of it. But then there's this other side that depending on how closed we get, depending on how much our systems urge closeness, mm-hmm. our people in positions of power and privilege Come use, to, use yeah. closeness yeah. and separateness to yeah. sort of reinforce the negative side of this, the divided side of this, mm-hmm. the sort of stuck in that side of development. It gets complicated. Yeah. There's a lot of sort of different avenues of healing that we on an individual level, on a community level, on a systemic level mm-hmm. still have to go through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of when I was listening to you, I was thinking, just reflecting on uh, the notion of competition and just Darwin's theory of evolution, how competition has been the highlight of like the modern holding of the theory of evolution, but that's only half the story, right? We know the other half of the story is cooperation that we've evolved because we're so cooperative. Again, this is probably maybe too heady, but like capitalism is, is such a quintessential expression of this primary delusion of separateness and that we're going to compete and whoever competes the best wins as if winning is healthy. I'm better than you. I beat you because I'm better At this, than you are. We celebrate that. So then we have a whole paradigm of being that sets us up to be winners or losers. Or I'm a winner here and a loser here, a loser here and a winner there. And that's it. It's like we're just competing against ourselves and against one another as if there's something to win. But we're all losers. We're all losers with that kind of paradigm. So we're at a point collectively now where the healing needs to be far beyond the individual level we have a planet in peril that's reality to me so how are we going to create a collective system of consciousness that understands that competition is useful in some ways maybe only as entertainment for games like that's why i love sports because there's a beginning a middle and an end and then everyone hopefully loves one another at the end whether you won the game or lost the game we understand it doesn't matter it was the joy of playing. It's I, you know, the aperture for me goes from the individual level of healing as a therapist in a room with someone, and then opens wide to say, but what is the sea in which my consciousness is swimming? Because that influences my sense of health and healing as much as the individual struggles that I have with my partner or something.
0: I love sports. I play sports. I like, you know, winning at games. <laughs> yeah. The felt sense of that is so less and and less lasting Mm. than when we're talking about this other sense of really experiencing life Mm -hmm. and really living life and sure i you know i play basketball and i like winning and then five minutes later that's gone (laughs) but when i'm really connected to someone Mm. when i'm really having just a joyful time with my son or just really in a moment where I'm with my son like that fills my whole body last for weeks I can right now I can feel yeah. the recollection of that feeling versus the winning of that basketball game and I think on that level that I I think is what I hope the world would be start to understand I get I almost get a sense of getting lost in the game Mm. getting lost in the competition getting lost you know because I get lost in it and think it and hopefully this show is partially trying to urge people who maybe haven't totally Mm. tasted that to Mm -hmm. be like yeah you're you don't even, like, you're sort of eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but there's, like, a filet mignon steak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And, like, trust us. Like, go for the filet mignon steak, because yeah. it really just, your heart just mm-hmm. explodes, and there's... And that's it. That for me framed in this
1: kind of more, I guess, transpersonal language, it's, it's, that's ego to beyond ego, like what you're, some of what you're describing. Like, when I have a shared experience of love, there's no attempt to win there. The, the idea of competition goes out the window because the idea of this individual, this rigidly structured individual ego is out the window. I can only experience love in relationship. There has to be mutuality. There has to be, for it to be pure, right? There ha- It has to be shared. So there's that space between me and my wife or that space between me and my child. And that's the place in which the love is born and expressed and shared. And there isn't any effort to win or to lose. This is silly too, I think, but this idea of we're, of human being and not doing, we get so caught by doing, doing, doing. What's it like to just be?
0: You know, it's easy to talk about this stuff from ahead so i'm going to sort of ask you more of a like what led you here on a personal level like your own story like Mm -hmm. what do you feel like showed up in your life that led you to open to this path and want to seek this path and yeah yeah what what yeah do you have a personal story that kind of illustrates pervasive suffering
1: (laughs) really it's interesting because part of it well i'll skip all that what brought, I'm glad you asked that because part, that's why I regret being overly heady. I think with a lot of what I've shared with you. So to bring it, to bring it down to my individual experience, I, ha, so having been born into this family where there's a lot of addiction, the misdirected search for spirit is what Stanislav Kroff calls the, the misuse of alcohol spiritus, alcohol spiritus in Greek. So it's a, it's a misguided search for spirit. The family I was born into is both deeply spiritual, religious, but more kind of a this kind of progressive spirituality, and deeply and profoundly impacted by addiction. I grew up seeing brother, my sister go to rehab, my brother come within really inches of killing himself and being in intensive care. One of my early memories, because I'm the youngest of seven, there's a big gap between the oldest and the youngest. One of my earliest, earliest memories is going into a hospital and seeing my brother in an intensive care unit with tubes of blood just being pumped in his body because he was so injured from this accident he had. And he was drunk and he brought himself around a telephone pole and was hanging by his arm over a stream. And the pole, the power pole that he hit sent the, the power line into the water. So had he not been hanging by his arm through the door of the car, he would have been electrocuted and probably died. I was raised in this environment that was equal parts profound love and spirituality and profound dysfunction and incredible uh, incredibly negative experiencing the incredibly negative impacts of addiction. So as I got into my early early adolescence 12 13 years old there were parties all the time. My parents would have parties, my brothers would have parties when my parents were away and I started drinking at 12 or 13 and by the time I was 14 I was drinking regularly, fourteen, fifteen. Fast forward to my early twenties, I had met my wife. I still, so I had this dual track of partying really hard and having fun, quote unquote, my version of fun, as an adolescent, with as a party animal, and also this deep yearning and this deep calling that felt cellular uh, on a spiritual path. So both of these things were happening. One for me, the side of separation, that door I just run through that door of suffering, thinking it was fun, that delusion of separateness. But at the same time, still having this undercurrent of somehow some understanding that ah, there's more than that, though, that's not quite right. So I would toggle back and forth. So I had this undercurrent of spiritual yearning for as long back as I can remember. And then the simultaneous experience of profound suffering through through alcoholism. So I got, my wife and I, now wife and girlfriend, got together in our senior year of college. My drinking was a problem in the relationship from the gate. And one day, my wife's name is Kate. Kate, I was working at a restaurant, which is great if you're an alcoholic and not so great if you're an alcoholic. So I was working at a restaurant, was drinking every night and driving home. Never got a DUI somehow, but came home at like 4 o'clock in the morning after a shift because I just hung out in the restaurant bar after I was done with my shift and drank got home at like four. I was supposed to be home at 1230 or one. And Kate just came out. We're living in the mountains in Colorado and came out and just pounded on my chest. She was so upset. And then she was gone for three days. And I said to myself in that moment, I had tried to stop drinking. I tried to do harm reduction with alcohol before I even knew what harm reduction was. But after Kate left, I said, this is it. The greatest thing that's ever happened to me, which was Kate's presence in my life, is now gone. And whether she's gone forever or she's just gone for a couple of days. Whatever it is, this is it. I have to stop. I have to stop drinking.
2: Uh,
1: and that's when I found meditation. That's when I had a dear friend who's now, a. it's so funny, she's now a Buddhist monk in San Jose. We were working at the same restaurant together in Colorado, in Breckenridge, Colorado. And she just turned me on to meditation and Buddhism. And that was the renunciation for me of alcohol through this path of contemplation and Spiritual development, ultimately, that was it. So this, le- this unbelievably profound level of fear and suffering was destroying me. And I needed to find something to pull me through because I didn't want to go. I- I'd seen the path that some of my siblings had taken and their suffering for some of them continues to this day. For others, they got the help that they needed and are doing well. So I came to this through. To this perspective and to this healing work and to this identity as a healer through being helped myself, through being walked through the path of healing from spiritual teachers and therapists and friends and fellow seekers. Yeah, it's all very real at a, at, again, at the cellular level for me. And I still, I, my family in it whenever to me, Whenever there's addiction, we've got to keep our eyes out for some kind of psychological, emotional vulnerabilities as well. And I also inherited, I think some of this truly without without question is genetic depression and anxiety as features of my experience in this life that haven't gone away entirely. I don't I no longer expect them to. But the question for me now is how do I meet them? Uh, Rumi's poem, The Guest House, is my favorite poem. And it's this this idea I never quote the poem exactly, exactly writing. But how do I meet anxiety and depression at the door laughing and greeting them as hosts and asking, what do you have for me today without taking them too seriously? So I still wrestle with the delusion of separateness regularly. On my most depressed days, it's because I feel alone and afraid. And I have to sit or reach out and can sit in meditation or reach out and connect with people that I know love me. I just had a really hard time with the last couple of weeks and had the good fortune of it being a friend's birthday. My closest group of friends, I hadn't seen in forever, and we had dinner together and then hung out for a while afterwards, and I was crying and connecting with them, and it woke me up again because I had fallen into this sleep, and I had to be reminded that, oh, that's right. I have all, this is me sharing life and receiving support from people who love me and offering support to people I love. Like that. Thank you. A little yeah. more practical and real. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> Plus, really appreciate yeah, 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 yeah. I
0: really appreciate you sharing your own story, and I'm yeah. touched by it, of course, because I think the, the personal really mm. is where this lives, and I appreciate you sharing it with people that are listening. Mm-hmm. I take away from that, and I truly do believe this, that there is this voice inside of us, and a lot of times it's the quietest. But it's in there, and it's saying, you know,
2: like, go for the healing. Or mm.
0: Do, you know, yeah, you can do this. Or a healing instinct. Yeah, that it's in there and it is quiet. But I sort of hear that in your own story mm. that that voice, thankfully, came out. Thankfully, you listened to it mm-hmm. and and follow its guidance. And of course, mm. lose connection with it. But yeah. That, that it's there, and I think that is true for all of us. Yeah, and, and I think
1: I think for us, just to add to this, for us as healers in this world, to recognize and understand that, and I and I know you know this well, that there are people who come in to see us who haven't, who don't know love, they haven't been loved in the purest way that we think about love. I just referenced all that dysfunction and addiction from my family, but I knew love. I knew what it was to be loved, so when Kate loved me, despite all of the drama and pain of my alcoholism, I knew that the love that she expressed to me was real, and that I could trust it, because I had been loved from my earliest days, from my mom and dad, and from my siblings. I didn't always feel that love, but I knew love. And I think that's something to, there are people who don't even, who come in to see us. I think people with extreme developmental trauma or, or a post-traumatic stress kind of experience where they may not, ne- they may not know what love is. They may not know that there, hey, there is this healing instinct that is a part of you. So I, just to add that too, I have such a, a level of, I wouldn't be where I am today on my journey of healing and development. If I didn't know love from my earliest days, I don't know why that's coming up right now, but it seems important that for us to remember as healers that sometimes we're the first, can, can I love my clients? My answer to that is a, a, a hell yes, of course. I better. And can I allow them to know I love them? And can I calibrate my expression of that love in a way that they can actually receive? Uh, because it is, it's a, it's a cliche as old as time, but worth repeating until the end of time is that love is all that we need.
2: That's
0: it. Thank you. Thank you for your mm-hmm. thoughts on this and thank you for your personal stories on this. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I've really appreciated uh, thank you. your pathway through this.
1: Thanks for the opportunity to speak about this.
0: There you have it. Another awesome episode. Thank you to Chris. And thank you, listener. Be this your first time listening or to the audience that has been with me since the beginning, I truly appreciate you spending your time with me. Tune in again in two weeks and uh, check out our next episode. Thank you.